Welcome to the number one daily NFL podcast, Locked On NFL. It's on the number one daily sports podcast network. I am Brian Peacock alongside the scout, Matt Williamson. You can find me on Twitter at BDPeacock. Matt is at Williamson NFL. You can find this podcast and all of the programs here on the Locked On Podcast Network on all of your favorite podcast apps. Your team is covered, whether it's Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, hockey, college, a growing number of college teams being covered as well on the network. So, uh, yeah, your team's covered. Tell a friend that we're here talking about the league all offseason long. Nobody really is doing that, Matt. We're, we're doing the daily thing here, even in the offseason, which is fun, five days a week. We've still got to finish up our combine coverage. We're getting into the defensive side of the ball today, our takeaways from the defensive ends, defensive tackles, front seven guys, linebackers. That will be the focus on today's show. We'll get into the defensive backs tomorrow. Twitter Thursday, we'll have a guest for you this week, uh, unknown guest yet at this point, and Matt, as far as news goes around the NFL, I thought post-combine there would be a, a, a flurry of activity, but I think it's the CBA, right, that's holding things up right now? Yeah, and real quick, I mean, it, you just kind of, with that whole locked-on network spiel about all the different you know programs that we're giving people now just seems like yesterday David Locke asked me if I wanted to host Locked On NFL and, <laughs> hey, then I'm going to probably get some other teams around the league and see if we can do this thing. And now it's so big and uh, must be doing something right. So thanks to everyone listening yeah. for that. Um, yes, the, my take on the news of the is it's a holding pattern because these teams, they can franchise people. And I think there will be plenty of tags coming very soon. But really, the front offices don't know exactly what role, what rules they're operating under. I mean, they're waiting for the CBA to get finalized. I mean, how do you sign Dak Prescott to a four or five year deal if you don't know what the what the situation is with what rules you're playing under and what the cap is and all those type of things? So, kind of waiting on the edge of my seat, as are all the teams. And if there's a really big jump in the cap then that might make it a lot easier for teams to tag a bunch of guys and maybe fewer players hit free agency maybe that the players that do hit free agency it's a lot easier for teams that didn't know what they could do to now go out and out and spend a bunch of money maybe it allows teams to re-up their own players but yeah everybody's sort of in a holding pattern right now there was an ESPN report from Jenna Lane that uh, speculated it's not a done deal yet but three prominent players one being Dak Prescott that you mentioned expected to get the franchise tag Hunter Henry tied in from the Chargers and Bud Dupree another one that are expected to get that franchise tag according to this ESPN report yeah and back to the CBA real quick we sat down with John Clayton in Indianapolis who's really dialed in on salary cap stuff and he said if the CBA or when the CBA passes if it passes teams the, the cap should go up about 30 million this year so if you're Jacksonville, the Steelers, Minnesota, cash-strapped teams, that's huge. You know, if you're going to tag Dupree or Nadakwe or, um, you know, the, the, the Vikings might be considering the safety that's a good young player Harris, there yeah. too, Harris. You know, so that's a possibility. So you kind of have to know these things, though, first. Um, I, and you're right. I think all those te- all those guys will get franchised. I think A.J. Green will get it. Um, I think there's going to be quite a few franchise players this year. Jadavian Clowney will not. It was in his co- contract that he can't get get franchised. And then the Tennessee situation is really interesting regarding tags and the uh, uh, bargaining agreement as well. 
if it doesn't get signed, this is the rare year that you can transition and franchise somebody. And I would presumably would be Tannehill, who you can still trade and sign Brady and Henry. And that lets Conklin hit the open market, which I think will happen. But if the, if it does get signed, you can only use one of the two. So Tennessee needs to know these things, as does all the teams. I wonder if it might open the door for some trade activity with all of these tags, maybe more tag and trade scenarios out there mm-hmm. with teams uh, maybe that don't like what's on the free agent market at a position. And so a team can leverage that player that wants out, like say AJ green, maybe they tag AJ green. He's like, man, I don't want to go through a rebuild here. Uh, even right. if Joe Burrow's great, like uh, it's time for me to hit the road and maybe they'll be able to work out a team and get a, you know, maybe a second round pick. We saw it last year with D Ford and the 49ers giving up a second round pick for the right to sign D Ford from Kansas city, Kansas city doing the opposite, spending a first rounder to get Frank Clark on a tag and trade from Seattle. Uh, Eric Armstead could get tagged this year. It's not a very good defensive end class. So maybe that would help a team like the 49ers that wants to get a pick out of a, a player that, that they don't really know if they, he fits into their long-term plans monetarily, maybe mm-hmm. price himself out. So maybe you can trade it. And so maybe we'll see some tag and trades out there with some players that might still change teams, but could see that franchise tag because teams can fit that tag under the budget. Once, uh, once the CBA comes out. Yeah, it's a good point. And I mentioned Tannehill, you know, you could tag him, and then sign Brady and trade Tannehill or tag him, and you can always pull the franchise tag out if nobody wants to give you a pick for the guy at that price. And I think the most likely one of those is Nadokwe in Jacksonville, in that he's kind of already said, I don't want to play for these guys. And unlike the receiver situation, the draft kind of has Chase Young and then questions at edge. You know, like if you need an edge dude, you're not going to get Chase Young. Maybe you go, you know, if you fight with Clowney and you know, a bunch of teams, but maybe you would give a pick like D Ford for Nadakwe. And man, doesn't Jacksonville seem like if you're ranking the franchise in the league, doesn't Jacksonville feel feel like they're thirty second right now? Like nobody <laughs> uh, wants to be there. You know what, Matt? Uh, at Matt Williams at Williamson NFL. I'm not going to go there. I know there's the Jaguars fans, listeners. I'm not going to put many. that out there, Matt. <laughs> How about that? I can take a double down on my my mention. Yeah, look there up. aren't many fans to get me. Go get them. Like go get them. Jags fans, prove it. Prove how powerful you are in, uh, <laughs> in Duval County. Uh, so yeah, that's actually a good segue into the the edge class and the front seven that were at the combine and some disappointing numbers and a couple of players didn't work out that I wanted to see that could be first rounders. And it's a class that right now does not look good after chase young. So that could be something in the free agent market where you're looking at an Ngakwe. If you want a, a speedy edge rusher, there's not much in the draft there. If you want a bigger yeah. defensive end, a combo lineman that could play inside, outside a five tech, like Eric Armstead, there's not much there in the draft and so maybe a tag and trade scenario might work out for all those teams and for for the NFL teams and for us doing the show. It's like it'd be nice to know exactly when this vote's going to happen so we can start to figure some of this stuff out. Yeah. And one of the problems is well, why it's taking a little bit longer is it's gotten to the point now that every NFL player is going to have a vote kind of like the presidential election, including practice squad guys. So over this last week or so. They've had to be informed exactly what they're voting on. They've had to, you know, get get in touch with all these players. So I think people are hoping it's done by the end of the week. And with all the bottom of the roster players voting, that really helps the chances of it going through because they're the guys that are holding on for dear life and any raise they can get, they're going to jump on. You know, who knows how long their careers will be. So I think it gets done. 
but it just take a, there's just a little bit of logistics of getting all the information to 53 plus practice squad times 32 players. So you can just understand where that's coming from. Right. And some of the high profile reps and, you know, Richard Sherman's of the world and, and JJ Watt and Aaron Rodgers and those guys don't like the deal still. So it, even when they vote, it's not a done deal that'll actually go through. So this could still linger throughout the offseason. But at some point, these teams need to do business. So I think after this vote, whether it gets ratified or not, teams are going to have to figure some things out. And I guess you'll see what teams think about what's going to happen. Franchise tag deadline already moved to March 12th. I don't know. You can't push it back further than that with free agency beginning. And as we sit here on Tuesday, I think it's that calm before the storm. You know, all the executives went back to the the drawing board of, you know, adding the combine information to their draft boards. All the rep- they're waiting for the this the, this big shoe to drop, and then as soon as it does, I think the, the NFL is going to be wild. You know, guys like Rivers might sign, and you know, all the things will start happening big. And we're only two weeks out. I mean, the the tampering period is less than two weeks. March sixteenth, we'll start to learn a lot about where teams are, where players and, and teams are going to go in this thing, and then the league year opens and free agency officially opens two Wednesdays from now. We'll have it all covered for you right here, locked on NFL. But let's get into the front seven players from the NFL scouting combine. Chase Young, Matt, unfortunately did not work out. Sort of like Joe Burrow, I get it. I, I, I like it less than the Joe Burrow thing because Joe Burrow didn't have much to gain. For Chase Young, he's going to blow it away. I mean, it's not like there was any, it's not like he was going to show up and, and look like a schlub next to the guys that were out there with Joe Burrow, maybe his arm strength, and it wasn't the right uh, avenue for him to show off what his skills were. But Chase Young's a, a beast, and he was going to go out there and look amazing and, and run and, and fly down the track and, and jump well and, and look great in drills. So I don't know if there was any reason for him not to go except for to not get hurt. So if that's the case, don't even work out at your pro day. Right. I mean, I was standing right next to him or, you know, a couple yards away when they were doing their bench and the guys come out that aren't going to bench and they announced to the crowd, Chase Young, Ohio State, I'm not going to bench for personal reasons, basically just saying, I don't have to, man. <laughs> you know, like, at uh, his stage, why even work out? Like, there's nowhere to go but down. You're competing against yourself. And I know it's a better look if you run a 40 at Ohio State, which also has a pretty fast track notoriously. And you do drills on your own time and give yourself a little more time to prep for it. But in reality, you can only hurt your stock. That's true. Uh, yeah, w- when you're that high. And there was a time when the when the – Players could be drafted. There was a different slotting system with the draft. And remember, guys were signing before the draft would happen, and the first pick would sign, and there was these astronomical numbers, and it was so much more agent-driven and, and weird. And I think now it's a little bit, and I think you talked about that earlier this week, how some of it is out of the agent's hands a little bit more now. Uh, and so I think that's one of the ways that the players can take it back and be like, look, this is this big event. You're putting in prime time. The league's getting paid for this. I'm not getting paid for this yet, you know, and I'm already going number two overall, so I don't have to go work out and risk anything. I'm going to I'm going to wait on this. So, I I mean, I can see that side of it, but the Boses came from the same college. They competed, worked out. They didn't fly down the track. It wasn't like they were going to run good 40 times and they still worked out. So, you know, as a fan of it, you want to see all these guys work out and see how they line up. And I think he would have looked amazing. Yeah, I'm sure he would have. I mean, and seeing him in person, he is wow on the hoof. I mean, an unbelievable body. Um, and, and I, he probably will work out just to kind of show off a little bit and appease the league because yeah. they want to see it. But <laughs> I mean, in reality, there, he doesn't have to. And there was a handful of guys that didn't. 
Um, it kind of brings me to Brown, the, the, the defensive tackle from Auburn, Derek mm. Brown. I mean, he is a very big, physically imposing man and is awfully impressive on the field. And in drills, I thought he looked very good, powerful mover. But he had like a historically bad three cone, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. and it made me think like, did he just not try? Did he not? Is that the first time he's ever on a three cone in his life? Did he not <laughs> practice for it at all? I thought the same thing. Yeah. It was like, did you not practice these drills? Because he didn't look like, because he, he moves too good. He's the, the quote right. unquote dancing bear that up. you hear about. And I, I was surprised by how bad his number was. I mean, he, I mean, he's a big guy. He wasn't going to fly or anything like that. But uh, it was a little bit shocking to see how bad his numbers were for a player that most people expect to be a slam dunk top 10 pick. Yeah. It, it's an eight two two three cone which I'm pretty sure was, if not worst, was one of the worst couple at the entire combine, including offensive linemen. You know, his jumps weren't that great. I mean, I know he's really heavy, but it doesn't, I, I hope it doesn't hurt him because it shouldn't. You know, you watch the tape and the tape just shows a great athlete that moves very well, that is explosive, that can change direction. I just wonder if he put any effort into preparing for the combine. Showed up really big, 6'5", 326, and his his workout numbers, the, the three-cone, 8-2-2, is just like, that is, that is so right. bad. It's <laughs> that awesome. is really, really bad. And it, he's not a defensive end or anything like that, but there were nose tackles. I mean, that's a, he, he, was, he was working out like a, like a nose tackle, like a guy that you don't want on the field on third downs, and he's absolutely a guy that you want on the field on third downs. So not great for him. I wonder how it'll affect uh, his stock with teams. Probably not that much because the tape is so good. But when someone like Isaiah Simmons does what he does, I think yeah, that's right. your opportunity for, okay, well, look at all these great offensive tackles that are on the board. Look at these you know, quarterbacks we could potentially draft. If there's any ties, Brown might just have lost the tie with a lot of guys in, the, in that top 10 area. Right. If you're the Cardinals, and sure, you could use Bird, Carolina, and you know the, the, the Cardinals are going to take one of those tackles instead of you now, maybe, you know? Um, everyone talks about the three cone. It was awful, but I just noticed, and this shocks me too, that his hand size is only nine inches. That's the, that's the dreaded Joe Burrow, nine inch hand size, but this man's <laughs> 326 pounds, you know, like it, it doesn't show in his game at all, but it's a slight red flag for me. It was the reverse Henry Ruggs. Remember Henry Ruggs had 10 yeah. plus inch hands and short arms. Derek Brown's massive 6'5", 326, 34-inch arms. I mean, it's all huge, but then small hands, which is odd because, you know, it defensive linemen usually have big, strong, powerful hands that shock offensive linemen, and obviously it doesn't affect him, and it's not a big deal. It's worse for a quarterback to have small hands because they're handling the ball, but that is just an odd. It's, it's an oddity to watch some of these players, the way they're built, and it shouldn't matter that much, but a lot more goes into that. I think, I don't remember the name of the book, Matt. I, you might have read it. I know that it was definitely, I want to say, six years ago ish you know five six seven years ago there was a book i think that made its way around gm circles in the nfl and all of a sudden arm length was like the most important thing ever to everybody and everyone started talking about it and you started to see prospects with short arms long arms and it was a very big deal where before that it wasn't as big of a deal i don't know if that's something that you sensed as well but i can't remember the name of this book but it's a really popular book about biomechanics and, and great players at all these different sports i think it, it was based on michael jordan and that that's like the ideal build for an athlete these long arms big-handed athletes yeah and i'm definitely gonna look into that that's very interesting i am a believer in hand size and arm length you know, the Seahawks corners are a great example. You got to be this tall to ride the ride. Uh, you got to have this size arm to ride the ride, you know, that type of deal. 
And it makes sense. I mean, you have a larger catching radius. If you're a blocker or to, or at the line of scrimmage, I can get my hands on you before you get your hands on me. Um, some of our listeners might remember that I hosted a podcast with Rod, Ross Tucker at ESPN for many, many years. And Ross played in the league. And he said often that if I could change one thing about me as a player, I would have longer arms. You know, like he said, I'd play against Richard Seymour. And I'd be like a T-Rex, you know, swinging my little arms trying to t- trying to get them. <laughs> yeah, there's so much there with that battle. Whoever can get their hands on the other guy first wins a lot of yeah. times. If you're a defensive back, you've got longer arms. It's a game of inches. Think of all the passes that barely get completed. If your arms are literally one inch longer, you could bat down that pass instead of it, you know, going right. to the house the other direction. So uh, it's 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 a pretty important thing. And you don't really think about it. And maybe it's one of the most important things that the combine is actually seeing how big these guys are, how they're built, how they're put together. Are they top heavy? Do they have little skinny legs? Is it obviously that they ha- is it obvious that they haven't been working out at their college program? Uh, how long are their arms? How big are their hands? Just some functional biomechanics stuff with some of these players is is probably more important than any of the on field workouts and uh, times they're putting up. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, how much weight can you add to these guys? And I would like to know more about biomechanics. I mean, I think there's so much more information now than when I was scouting that you can really tell the type of athletes that do things well and having those exact measurements goes a very long way. And people wonder why they trot these dudes out in their boxers. Well, that's why. <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot of it sh- plays itself out and shows on the film anyway. So, you know, the, right. I remember the Mayock, the heavy legged waist benders on the offensive line, you know, and you can just, there's biomechanic stuff that you can tell and you can see, and you can see why and a lot of the good pass rushes rushers automatically just already have long arms. And so that's already filtered through because the guys that, that aren't built a certain way and, and can't hang at the high D one level. And then some guys are just effort players and are able to um, make it through. And then you have to decide, okay, is this guy's technique and effort and all these things, does that outweigh maybe him not having a perfect body? And there's a lot of body perfect players out there to choose from. And you can go way wrong just choosing the body too. Yeah. And to take it a step further, I mean, I'm pretty sure this is true, but sports science has come such a long way that, you can look at a body type and I think people can now say there's a good chance he's going to have knee problems or, you know what I mean? Like the the way he's built, he puts more stress on his rotator cuff than another guy, you know, things like that. You can kind of predict injuries a little bit. Yeah. You can see how a player bends. He doesn't bend well at his hips. He's not flexible here. So that's going to put stress over here. That's why Mm -hmm. he's had all these series of, you know, whatever hamstring injuries. I mean, it's amazing how, how far they've come in, in that aspect of the game. Yeah, Absolutely. So let's get back to some of these players. Yeah. I mean, these – I'm not impressed with the rest of the edge guys. Oh, the edge guys all. are bad. A.J. Epinesa, another really awful workout. I mean, he worked yeah. out like somebody who is a 300-pounder. He's 6'5", 275, and he's a big, strong guy. Big hands, 10 and an eighth inch hands, 34-inch arms. So he's built like that big power end, and that's what he was at Iowa. But then he ran a, a an over 540-yard dash at 275 pounds. That's not great. Uh, 504. 17 bench press reps, which was a lot fewer than all the other defensive linemen. I mean, these guys are all putting up 20 plus bench press reps, a 32 and a half inch vertical, which is not great for an edge guy. You want more explosion there. The broad jump was pretty good. That was about the only thing he worked out and looked good at. Uh, Not a great three cone, not a great 20 yard shuttle. And when you watch the film and the the type of player he is, he's got a motor. He's going to come every down, but he's stiff. He doesn't win the edge and he's strong with his hands and, I don't know if that's really a first round player and I see him almost in the top 20 picks 
routinely in every single mock draft I look at. And, and when I watched the film, I thought, well, that's weird that this guy is just such a slam dunk first rounder. Then you see him work out and it's like, I don't know if he's a first rounder, period. I agree. And I, I think Chase on and Gross Matos are probably the ones competing for that second edge spot now that he's out of the conversation. Um, there people with his athletic profile, Michael Bennett's one of like the only ones that's been successful with the, the profile that Epinesa showed us at the combine. And I look at this guy and think he should be a three, four defensive end. Now, you know, he should be Aaron Smith from my Steelers, you know, just being a big physical pound the line of scrimmage, eat up blocks, control blockers and, He's going to drop, I think. I mean, maybe the Patriots love him. Uh, he's their type of guy. But, man, I, I don't know how I use a first-round pick on him anymore. That's funny. I was playing around with mock drafts, and that's where I put him. And that's the first place I felt good about it was putting him with the Patriots. Very Trey Flowers, right? But Trey Flowers was, what, a fourth-round draft pick. But right, that, right, that right. is the type of team he should go to as someone who knows how to use him. Someone who And, and maybe you, you have him continue to stay big and strong. And maybe he's a, a an edge setter on early downs moves in and, and rushes from the inside a little bit on, on passing downs. And that's maybe the way that he should go. But yeah, the, the top 20 stuff, I'm not really seeing it with AJ Epinesa and it's just, it just goes to show you how bad this edge class is. So maybe some teams have to just um, overdraft some of these players because there's a, a need at edge around the league. And you mentioned gross Matos and chase neither one of them worked out at the combine. So right, that's right. tough. So we don't have numbers right. on them, but gross Matos is the one where, I, I agree with you, and I, he might not. He might be edge too, just because he fits the profile of length six five two sixty six. So he's got the right height weight. We'll see what he runs. It makes me wonder that he didn't run. Does he not run well? And he didn't want to put that time out there for for scouts. But almost thirty five inch arms, like that's how you want him built. He did do jumps though, which were nice. He had thirty four inch vertical and ten foot broad jump. But aside from that, he didn't run at all, which makes me question if he's good enough to jump. He didn't run. That tells me he's not going to run a great time. So who knows? Maybe he's not a first rounder either, but he's got that perfect build that you're looking for for an outside pass rusher. Yeah. And I love that. Oh, he's a first rounder. Well, there's only 32 of them, you know, (laughs) and I'm pretty sure four or five quarterbacks are going. I'm pretty darn sure that like five no brainer chase young Simmons type defensive players are going. I'm pretty sure about five offensive tackles are going. That itself is half the first round, folks. You know, like we didn't even get into all the receivers. Like there, it, it's going to crowd up pretty quick. We've got to move on to the linebacker portion here, but I do want to highlight someone who did work out well, and that was Neville Gallimore, who's at six two, three hundred and four pounds. You're thinking, okay, that's a that's a nose guard right there in the NFL, right? That's a nose tackle, uh, maybe a shade nose, one technique, something like that. And then he runs a 4.79 40-yard dash. And this guy's athletic. He can run the passer a little bit, uh, rush the passer a little bit. So you're thinking, okay, you've got a little bit more juice there. You can play three technique. You you are definitely stout enough on running downs to dominate there. Now you're talking about an every-down defensive lineman, and that really helps his stock. It, it does. I mean, I thought he really shined. Like, if I, I know they don't play the same position, but to me, if you're drafting Epinesa or Gallimore in the first round, Gallimore's way more valuable of the two to me. I mean, don't you agree? I agree, too. Uh, there's yeah. just more value put on edge, and it's harder to find the edge guys, which is why he might go first. But uh, if those guys are – if I'm at, if you're asking me which one of those guys is more valuable for your team, positional value aside, then Gallimore easily. Yeah, and what do you think about this, BP? I'm thinking about calling an audible and just sticking with the defensive front dudes today, and then maybe we'll do back seven tomorrow 
because there's a lot of linebacker talk and there's some more of these defensive linemen I want to discuss. Okay, yeah, let's come back, talk more defensive linemen. We'll get back into uh, the the faster players and uh, some of the linebackers. And who knows, some of the linebackers might play safety. Some of the safeties might play linebacker in the NFL anyway. Matt, one player we've just barely touched on and he actually did work out with, or he didn't work out at all, but I I believe he was listed as a linebacker and that's uh, Kalevon Chason from LSU. And mm-hmm. uh, he was in the linebacker group, but I think we should talk about him today with the edge and the defensive lineman. And he's another player that I'm seeing. I see a lot at number 17 to the Falcons and a lot of teams with edge needs. People will put him in the mock draft, but he had, I want to look at his numbers. I, I want to say he had five sacks maybe right at LSU. And, and he played off ball a lot. He played in coverage and he's fantastically athletic. But if you're arguing, what player he is. I mean, he worked out with the linebackers for a reason. He's not, I mean, he's big enough, but he's not an every down defensive end in the NFL. Six, three, even two fifty four, thirty two inch arms. So that's not the length you're looking for. There's definitely going to be teams out there that are saying, give me Epinesa instead of chase on. They want that size. And and they're old school guys. are like, our defensive ends have to be big. We're not touching chase on. And I wonder if there might be even a bit of a fall for chase on, as athletic as he is, I'm sure at LSU's Pro Day, he will wow people because he can fly and, and he's a beast, but he's not going to be for everybody. And in fact, if you don't run maybe a, a scheme that's like a 3-4 or a scheme that's really multiple on the defensive side of the ball, you don't really have a role for him on early downs. So he might have a little bit of a fall, like maybe someone like Harold Landry, I think is the closest comp I can think of from a couple of years ago that fell all the way into the second round, which I was blown away by. I do think he has a great opportunity at LSU's Pro Day to maybe solidify himself as that second edge. But I mean, he's going to have to be really impressive. Like you said, he's not super productive on a you know a really good team. Um, a lot of inconsistencies to his game, and in a way, you know, Daniel Hunter was that way at LSU. You know, I mean, not a real refined technician yet, and we see what he turned into. You know, I mean, obviously the the, the sky was the limit with Hunter, and he hit it. But that's a risk. I mean, you better be pretty, you know, styled in with the kid and his work ethic and your specific position coach and scheme. I don't know that he'll be for everyone. I undersold him a little bit. Six and a half sacks he had last year at LSU. But and and that's that's not bad for how often he rushed because he wasn't always rushing the quarterback. But that's kind of the thing. How do you use him? And he only had three sacks before that. So nine and a half sacks in his career. That's your first round pass rusher. I mean, Harold Landry fell in the second round. He had more sacks than that in one season. So that that is a little bit. Everyone wants to force him up just because he's such a great athlete and he looks the part and he's so fast off the edge, it, it, he's got to be a stand-up type of rusher, and that's not going to be for everybody. So I'd pump the brakes on how, on how high maybe he could go because NFL loves big people, and he's not big for his position group. No, you're 100% right. And I'm not saying that this guy is going to go higher than these edge dudes we're talking about, but I look at a guy like Jonathan Greenard from Florida and who's six three and a half almost and 263 pounds. I think he's a really good player. Like I'd be more invested in a guy like that at what he will cost as opposed to some of these other edges we've talked about that aren't named Chase Young. And by the way, this is not me saying that I don't like Chase on. I love Chase on as a prospect. I mean, he's he's dynamic and it's just it's the fit. And I know the league and I talked a little bit about C.D. Lamb is like, you know what? I like C.D. Lamb a lot. He bought, he might be my wide receiver one in this draft, just watching his tape, and, and I like what he brings. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's the third wide receiver, and who knows, maybe someone like Mims or someone who went crazy at the combine even goes ahead of him just because he doesn't wow you physically. The, the mm-hmm. league loves big people. They love speed. 
And especially on the defensive side of the ball, when you talk about a pass rusher, nine and a half career sacks, Chase on might be not as high on teams boards as he is with the media, but there's obviously a lot to like about him as a prospect. And it just goes to show you this edge class is, is not great. And after young, I, I don't know where these guys are going to go. And, and maybe young is the only guy in the end. That's, that's really that slam dunk first round player at the position, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. And I do think gross motto still has a chance to, yeah. you know, solidify himself as well, but you're right. I mean, it's not particularly deep. There's not many guys I'm saying, boy, let's take a chance on him. You know, even like, Uche from Michigan is, I mean, he's only 6'1". He's a smaller guy, too. Um, there are a, a pair of guys I want to talk about before we hang it up, though, today, too. The twin brothers from Nebraska, Khalil and Carlos Davis. I mean, coming into this, I thought they were like fifth-round nose-tackle run-stuffer dudes. I didn't know a lot about them. They lit up the combine. Khalil a little bit more than Carlos, but... There's a lot to work with there. I was very impressed with those guys. They're not particularly tall. One of them six ones, one six two. They're both you know three oh eight, three thirteen in that neighborhood, but really good numbers. And just watching them move around, I'm saying, I, I was looking at it like I was a defensive line coach saying, let's say both those guys. There's a lot of edge guys in the linebacker group too. You mentioned Uche there real are. quick, and and I think there's some similarities with Uche and Chason because they both showed up at the combine to weigh in. I wonder what that weight is going to look like because neither ran when they go to their pro di- pro days and run. Uche at two forty five at six one. How heavy is he going to be when he finally runs? And Chason, it might have been a situation where he's like, "Look, I'm an edge, and I know that's going to be my position in the NFL. I need to be over two fifty, drinking a bunch of water." Uh, maybe he shows up in the 240s again to run at his pro day. That'll be a little bit of a red flag, too, just because, you know, he's not as big as he weighed in. So those are two interesting ones. I want to see how much they weigh at their pro days when they actually work out on field drills because they're, they're tweeners as far as size, linebacker, edge player. They can both rush the quarterback. That's uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, group of guys there when it comes to those type of players. So that, that's something I'm absolutely going to look for. And um, Bradley and I is another one from... Yeah, uh, from from Utah, he didn't work out really well, but he's super productive. He comes every down, but he ran a four nine three at six three two fifty seven. I had talked about Justin Herbert watching some tape of pass rushers, and I was one of those. Justin Herbert's running circles around Bradley and I, and it's like you if you can't track down a quarterback at the college level, and look, Herbert's a good specimen and he can run, but. That really hurts Anai's stock. As productive as he was, how good he looked at the Senior Bowl. He runs a four nine three coming off the edge, and he's already undersized. I mean, that hurts him. It hurts him a lot. I mean, that profile to me, I know he has good tape and productive tape, but it wasn't in the SEC. You know, I mean that that looks like third, fourth round special teamer, uh, rotational third outside linebacker and a three four type of guy not a starter, you know, better be good on teams. That, that's what he looks like to me. Um, one other guy I did want to mention too is Curtis Weaver out of Boise. He did improve his stock. I thought he was a real solid outing there too and looks a part of probably a real solid second round edge guy. Yeah, Weaver is one of those bad body guys where you wondered how is he going to yeah. look when he when he shows up at the combine because uh, there, there were times where he was like, is this guy uh, an edge rusher or is he someone that's going to bounce out of the league because he's not – training well or not eating well it was hard to tell just because he looks funny in his pads so seeing players like that show up and he was 6'2 and 3'8 265 pounds and you just realize that he's just a big a big dude at 6'2 and that's why he he looks the way he looks and he's built the way 
he's built. Um, and he's not going to be for everybody either. One more yeah. that we didn't talk about. Do you, do you know why Javon Kinlaw didn't work out? 6'5", 324. He would have had an opportunity with how bad Brown worked out to maybe surpass him as the first interior defensive lineman. But he yeah, did not run. I don't know that answer. I don't know if something was bugging him or if he has decided not to. No idea. But he's kind of out of sight, out of mind for now. You know, kind of like we talked about Dobbins with the running backs. But don't forget about him. I mean, he certainly qualifies as one of those guys that's a surefire first rounder no matter what. Um, I don't know if he could challenge Brown or not, uh, but I guess if he lights up his pro day or if he would add an amazing combine, maybe you're starting to have that conversation a little bit to no fault of his own. He's a great prospect. We're pretty much out of time here. I, I just want to highlight a couple of guys that, that ran really well at the combine, some big guys from the defensive line group. You met, you mentioned Khalil Davis from Nebraska, 475 or 4.75, which is a great time for him. And uh, Gallimore, 479 for some big guys. But some of the edge guys ran pretty well, too. James Smith-Williams, who I've not watched a lot of out of NC State, had the fastest time of the group with a 4.6 flat. Uh, Jabari Zaniga from Florida had a 4.64. Alton Robinson, undersized edge rusher, 4.69. Alex Highsmith out of Charlotte, 4.70. And DJ Wonham, another uh, undersized but lengthy edge guy out of South Carolina, 4.73. Some nice times for those guys. Absolutely. And some of those dudes are, let's go back and check the tape. You know, this is a not great edge class and we still need one. Maybe we can manufacture a player out of one of these guys that we'd had a little bit of a lower grade on before. Didn't realize how athletic and well they move. So maybe those someone there ends up making a name for themselves. Yeah. And James Smith Williams is the one that really uh, the, the ringer goes off and someone I'm definitely gonna have to go back and look at because you when you throw up 28 bench press reps, four, six, 40, a 32-inch vertical, good broad jump. Uh, I mean, and he's 6'4", 265, so that's a pretty prototype size, 33 and three-quarters inch arms. I mean, that all lines up, and it's like, okay, let's go see this tape because I haven't watched him at all yet. Uh, that's the first one on of this group I'm going to go back to see. Yeah, absolutely. That is one that's, ooh, what we got here? And that's what you hope to do at the Combine. Make those GMs go back and watch you. Help your stock a little bit. And if he blows away some interviews, someone that could really rise up the the, the charts that we haven't talked about in a really bad edge class. Exactly. Exactly. So there is opportunity. You know, when we look, you look at a class that um, isn't so exciting. Well, the people are still going to draft edge guys. And maybe you can yep. move up from where people thought you were the 15th edge guy. And now you're the eighth. Everybody needs an edge player. Everybody needs a pass rush. So you can absolutely help yourself make yourself a lot of money. And James Smith Williams might have been one of those. And maybe a few other guys lost a little bit of cash in this group. All right, Matt, we'll get to. The true linebackers, off-ball players tomorrow, maybe sneak in some defensive backs. We'll see how it goes this week. There's a lot to talk about, and as we wait for that CBA, and then we can really turn the page and start looking at some of that free agency stuff before we get back into full draft mode at the end of March and into April. We've got you covered. Everything going on in the NFL offseason right here. Locked on NFL. 